What is going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have the one and only Fahad on here, and he is the founder of Keto Geek. Without further ado, how are you, man? I'm good. It's raining outside. Looking forward to sunny days in California. Sunny days and sunshine. That's what I'm waiting for as well. There's something about the sunshine just makes you excited to start the day. Yeah. Is it uh, raining on your side too? Is it crazy weather time? Yeah, it's been raining like nonstop for the past three weeks. Like we had flash floods the other day. It's it's sunshiny right now, but it was raining this morning. Ouch, ouch. Yeah, yeah man. I'm I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I can't complain. I mean, people that complain about the weather, I mean, it's just when you have nothing else to complain about. <laughs> but at the same time, I am excited about sunshine. Yeah, I had an interview with a guy called Zach Bitter. He's an endurance athlete. He was part of this, uh, the Faster study by Stephen uh, Finney and Volek. Mm -hmm. And I asked him one of the questions, like, what happens when it rains? And he's like, you have to prepare for those kind of things. You have to be mentally and physically ready for it. And personally, I think it's a great thing to do. Always be ready for the challenge. In fact, like we discussed on my podcast, uh, it's these challenges and failures that make you grow. 100% agree, man. And like... Rain, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I do a lot of hunting, so, like, if it's raining and I'm out in the woods hunting, I mean, it's just, that's just what it is, that's the reality of it, so it's not really a bad thing, per se. Hunting is awesome, man. I wanted to learn it. Is it a compound bow hunting, or is it a rifle hunting? So, I do, uh, I have rifles and I have traditional uh, black powder muzzleloaders. I want to get into traditional archery, but I haven't made it that far yet. Yeah, I've been interested ever since I've heard Joe Rogan preach the hell out of everybody on earth about bow hunting. I've been curious about it. Um, when I was in, I was raised in a country called Pakistan. And over there, uh, we had this one holiday in which uh, uh, I could get into it. Uh, we would slaughter animals. And it's a bit of a controversial topic as there's a lot of uh, the vegan, vegetarian, all that kind of stuff going on these days. Mm -hmm. But in a way, it was a very sort of uh, interesting spiritual experience at the same time. Um, so I've been exposed to that sort of lifestyle, and I can totally understand uh, what happens. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I don't know, like, I've, I've grown up hunting my whole life. I mean, my dad's a biologist, so he's always, you know, doing, like, dissections of animals and stuff for his students so that's just part of life i guess you know the circle of life exactly um so <laughs> t totally off on the tangent there i love it but uh tell i mean for anybody that doesn't know you or keto geek just kind of give the audience a little bit of a bio so that they kind of know who you are when we dive into this year sounds good I started off working on cars. That was my uh, business before this. We would put films and coatings and that kind of stuff on there. And I was listening to this podcast by um, Tim Ferriss, and he had Dr. Dominic D'Agostino on it. And he was talking about the ketogenic diet as an adjunct therapy for cancer. And he was also doing some weightlifting and weight training and all that kind of jazz. So I got intrigued by it. And uh, the more I delved into it, I started realizing that there might be cer a certain silver bullet, which could potentially help solve a lot of problems at the same time. Um, I got into the ketogenic diet myself. And then I decided to make some food products for myself while I was going to work 8 to 12 hours per day something that was more geared to my lifestyle. I like to stay busy all the time, be efficient, be productive, take on the day. Um, so that's how we created those products. We shared it with a bunch of yoga chicks at the studio that I used to go to. 
they fell in love with it and we decided to start a business there and now we have grown quite a bit but then we realized okay there's a lot of issues in the food industry there's a lot of issues in the health industry as an educator you could be trapped and you need external sources to help you grow you need publishers you need other folks and networks and then as a food company you're also limited because you need writers reviewers and all those people so i began to strategize an idea where I could create a full ecosystem of information, product, and everything, including a podcast. And so that's what Keto Geek evolved into in the future. And at the same time, one of my goals was to take good people who are creating a positive impact in the world and empower them. And uh, like, like yourself, as soon as I saw your Instagram, I was like, I want to push this person forward and there's a few other people like for example keto connect those are good people and some of the educators that i find on twitter so we're technically an information based hybrid product business if that makes any sense at all no i love it man where where'd the uh, like where'd the motivation for the name keto geek come from well before i about a year or so ago i was sitting down this with my one of my chef friends in napa which is pretty common every person it seems like here in napa is either a chef or working in the wine industry. So we sat down and we discussed some ideas and he came up with the idea of Keto Geek. It's by, I think it's one of the worst names for a food company, <laughs> <laughs> but it flies, it's unique, we like it, we've adapted it, and then we have this tiny subtle steampunk theme going on over there. If you look at our logo, it has that steampunk cog thing. Mm-hmm. And you also, I remember, Remember when I sent you that one box from us and you said you were like, oh, is this little cog a seal of some sort or a protective measure? It's just something we send to every customer and it's a souvenir. I like it, man. I like it. I like, uh, I don't know, it's just unique. Like everything about you is is not like anything else anybody's going to see in the market. I mean, from from the branding to the product, I mean, to your freaking mustache, man, everything's is rocking. <laughs> yes, and I think it's important that people find their unique talents and expose them and accept them. One of the things I noticed among the younger generation especially is that we are so drawn towards insecurities and fears from being accepted by everybody else that we forget to be who we truly are, understand our limitations and then push past them. And that's one thing that I encourage in our business model at the same time. We don't want to be just another food business. We want to create a change, create great human beings on the path. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how we drive a change in the world as a whole. And personally, I think the big issues that drive these chronic conditions that we're fighting right now are just symptoms of underlying social dynamics that are in play. Like, for example, food could be used as a coping mechanism for certain insecurities or fears or conditioned behaviors. So those are the things we're trying to excavate beyond just food and nutrition. No, I can totally get behind that that message, man. Like, I I agree. I, I like the idea of you making, you know, rather than just having like a food business, but actually like, you know, having that information out there, kind of digging deeper than, than just the surface level product aspect of it, but, but going down into like the underlying, you know, science and the community, like all that, I mean, that adds value. Yeah, one of the people that I, um, and I would recommend this book, it's Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. That's a very good book that I was inspired quite a bit from. 
um, and it talks about how the brain can change over time. And then we did a podcast with a guy called Gary Wilson who talks about addiction and porn addiction and how that can drive physical changes in the brain and create and create this forced pattern that you're going to do again and again. And let's say if you have a bad day, you're going to drop into some sort of a addictive pattern and get away from the world. And if, if that starts to go out of control, then you are addicted. So I think that interpolates into the health industry as well, the food industry as well. And uh, we can notice that generally among people when they have a bad day, they'll go and eat an ice cream or something that gives them that novelty sort of aspect to it. So it's, it's fascinating how these dynamics play in our lives. Have you like experienced any of that yourself? Like have you dealt with any of those like emotional eating patterns and just triggered uh, like an addiction? For food-wise, I have not faced any of those. One of the things that I think might have influenced me in the past was maybe exposure to a lot of pornography. Because I was raised in a super-duper conservative country where we were said that, oh, none of that stuff. And so when you suppress something rather than accept it, it comes out with a vengeance. So maybe that was one of the things that affected me. um, And then I... That's one of the reasons why I actually reached out to Gary Wilson because I started noticing these escalated patterns that were affecting the youth, uh, a lot of our younger males, and we're going down this pathway in which we're sticking to um, just video games all day. By the way, don't get me wrong, video games are a great outlet. They can be a great source of learning, but this addiction towards... Let me rephrase that. This coping mechanism towards this virtual life, I'm just a little skeptical towards that. So that's where I come from. Interesting, interesting. I want to kind of just dive into the weeds here because I feel like a lot of people, they don't want to talk about their addictions. They don't want to kind of flesh that out, make it public. But at the end of the day, that's the best thing they can do because everybody's got something. And to simply like put it out in the open and be able to relate with others is very empowering. Yes, and you start to notice how these dynamics are affecting like really, really young people. Uh, just recently, I saw this article about a kid being diabetic at two years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's ridiculous. And then with as far as porn addiction is concerned, there was a kid who has who had lo- who had just lost his libido and had issues with erection and all that stuff all down to twelve years of age. So when you start noticing these problems at such a young um, and ripe period of life, then you know there's going to be trouble in the future. And then you start noticing Alzheimer's and some of these dangerous cancers appearing in teenagers. So we need to start reevaluating our strategy as a society as a whole. And that's where I start. That's how I view everything. Health and nutrition is one aspect of my life. It's a great tool and it connects the different bridges that are out there. So that's the kind of extremist I was talking to you about before the podcast. No, for sure. So, so what, uh, like, what are some actionable, like, with what you found and experienced? What are some actionable steps that people can kind of like leverage to correct course there? So it all depends on what kind of uh, addictive pattern you're on. And I think one of the most important things is to surround yourself with great people. A strong community with the same sort of goal will really help you. And it may sound crazy and cliche, but if you're one of those people who's like, screw this, I'm just going to do it. 
and I'm going to get busy in other areas of my life, that seems to help quite a bit because the less time you're going to be spending on one activity and spending more time on a productive activity, then you will get away from that addictive pattern. Of course, there's going to be a lot of emotional challenges on the pathway, but for many people that could potentially work. And then if you have issues with emotional eating or any of those kind of uh, deeper ingrained problems, then I think it might be time to find a counselor for that or maybe a good coach. It, it is crazy how like being busy, having an outlet, um, like for, for instance, I used to have, you know, eating disorders and I've talked about that. Um, I'd binge eat and then it'd be just like a addictive pattern. But a lot of that corrected course with keto and then the community surrounding keto but then also about that same time as when I started my business, Keto Savage, and simply having that outlet to pour myself into became like when you have something that just is, is you know, much more consuming of your time and your energy and your efforts, something you can get excited about building, that becomes a higher priority than whatever that addictive trait is. And it makes it much easier to kind of step away from them. What do you think caused that sort of disorder in you? What, what What's your hunch on this? I don't know, like the... The first, um, so like when I started, you know, with the eating disorders initially, it was after my first competition in 2012, and I basically just starved myself, uh, pretty much did everything wrong, starved myself, and was very malnourished, and then just deprived, because like, I'm on a light switch, like I'm an extremist, and when I turn that switch on, it's, there's there's no, it's just, all everything else is just non-negotiable, so like I wouldn't ever give into temptation of eating something outside of my macros and you know I, I would do that which is good to have that discipline but at the same time since I was so depleted and starving myself beyond what was necessary it was unhealthy and it had kind of like a very negative mental effect and then after that competition was over you know working so hard for something and then seeing the fat come back after I started eating more and then just not being able to, you know, tap the brakes on the food I was eating because there wasn't a competition looming. I mean, I would just, again, the switch was off this time, and I just went, you know, pretty much ape shit on everything that was in sight. As far as food goes, I would eat, you know, 20,000 calories in a meal, and, you know, then that would lead to, like, binging and purging cycles, and then that became an addiction. Like, I would just feel I could get away with eating so much more, knowing that I could purge at the end of it, you know, just puke, which was... Obviously not the smart thing to do, but it's just uh, it's crazy when you're in addiction like that. There's a mental block, and you know in your mind that this is not healthy, it's not right, this shouldn't happen, but you just keep going back to it. You keep going back to it, and it's, it's a hard thing to overcome. Like People that haven't had that, it's hard for them to relate. Yeah, I would imagine. I, I can only just throw javelins at the bullseye, but I don't know if I can hit it. Um, uh, from based on my observation and some of the research that I've done, there's a lot of factors that are in play for such behavior. It could weigh all the way down to childhood and then certain genetic components and your upbringing, your environment. Everything makes you who you are. So it can be quite a bit of a challenge, like you said, to get out of those patterns when it's so easy to escape away from it. Um, and I think this uh, information age kind of adds to it because millennials are, they're staying at home. They're not actually going out there to hunt their goals. 
Um, even though everybody's going to college, nobody really has a job or the job market's going down. I mean, it's sort of started to improve, but there's still the problem in our society. And uh, I think there's a lot of social conditioning that's going on, which doesn't seem to work practically. Like uh, we discussed a little bit on my podcast as well, where people go to college, I got a degree. Now everybody has a degree, but now it's a pointless thing because and now well, it's it's not an important or uh, really uh, unique anymore. You've lost that traction. And then there's these uh, ru- rubbish degrees. I'm going to be brutally, brutally honest about it. Like some of the liberal arts degrees are just rubbish because you're getting conditioned to hate people or conditioned to tell people how much of a screw-up you are. That's how I feel about some of the degrees here. And uh, as, as a founder of a business myself, when I come to come across certain people like these, I, I think that's more of a negative thing to have in my company than a positive thing. Um, so get things done, be effective, um, and grow up, please. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent, man. And and kind of like to to hinge off of that, you know, both with the addiction and just like the applicable, you know, skills for life. Um, kind of like what you were saying with the millennial generation, you basically have access to an outlet uh, to communicate or, you know, interact with others or, um, you know, artificial intelligence to like your phone, but you don't ever have to leave your house to do so. And you can show, I mean, you, you, with, with that kind of situation, you have the choice on what you reveal or don't reveal about yourself. You can make yourself look however you are. So you can hide, you can have these things, these insecurities, these addictions um, that you hide from the public. And then when you when you're able to shelter your insecurities like that, it's much easier to kind of draw into yourself and keep these addictions alive because there's less of a consequence to them. But, you know, I think the more you become transparent and, and open yourself up, the stronger you become. And that's cliche. Like people say that all the time. But I mean, all the success that I've seen in life has been amplified since I just said, you know what, to hell with it. I'm going to be completely 100% unapologetically me and transparent People either love me or they hate me for it, but I'm I'm not gonna hide anymore. And I was I was like that with my finances. I was like that with uh, my you know eating disorders. The more you're like that, the more powerful you become. I have to hundred percent agree with that. And this social media atmosphere that we have these days seems to perpetuate this behavior of hiding and denial. Um, because sometimes I meet people. And some of these gals that I meet, they look like nothing in their nothing like their real life versus the online counterpart that they have. It's like, is that really you that I saw at that event? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting how we've built these walls. And most of it stems from this behavior of getting accepted by everybody else. And uh, people who are genuine, people who are original like yourself, like people like Keto Connect, these people are like, we don't care. We're just weird as we are. And people love that. That. People follow that sort of attitude. Recently, Sean Baker, he, look at his Instagram. It's it's garbage. Just posting pictures with his phone and taking videos from his phone and putting it on YouTube. But people love that because it's so refreshing. Uh, everything is so marketed and so f- – I hate to use this word, but sort of fake in certain ways uh, where – you're you're trying to reach perfection which is not possible and as soon as we started keto geek that was my goal is like i want to show people how terrible i am and we're going to start off right right off the bat like that and let's destroy this corporate veil and start family style and that's what we've been doing yeah and and like i don't know it's cool to see kind of how social media has evolved for the for the better because i mean 
since people have access to all the information they could ever desire, you know, they're going to see right through crap. So like if you are producing crap and you're just like putting yourself out there and it's flawless, but it's just, it's just crap. People are going to see that and you're not going to survive. But if you're, you know, you and you're hundred percent, you people are going to be forgiving of your, your, you know, downfalls because it's you, it's, you know, you're a human. People are smart enough in the day to realize that everybody's going to have you know, pitfalls and mistakes, and, and they're going to be so much more forgiving of those. And at the end of the day, like, the people watching your content, listening to your content, like, that fires them up, because it's like, okay, if I see them mistake, make a mistake, and they're doing this, and they're being successful with it, then that's empowering for me, because, I mean, I'm just as much human as they are. And anybody can do it, you know? Yes, and there's another challenge that is huge, and I combat that all the time, which is information overload. I think the I think true strength or true power right now lies in limiting information, simplifying the most complicated scientific or social concept and applying them to your life and liberating yourself to express who you are and be who you are. So this back in the good old days, you could you had to travel to China to get the latest amount of information. It's still difficult. It's just that nowadays you need to find the relevant information because there's so much BS out there. There's so much intellectual dishonesty. And as we're excavating and pulling apart these petals, uh, we're finding out that even scientific literature, some of the companies, some of the influencers that I initially used to respect, there's a bit of dishonesty on there. They'll manipulate the data on a certain study and things like those would start happening. And so that's one thing that we aimed to combat when we also began our business. We realized we need to be totally autonomous. And like yourself, you're fully autonomous. You can call the shots whatever you want or wherever you want. And uh, so same goes with some of the other respectable influencers that I've come across. You have to make sure or at least try to stay as liberated as possible, whether it's information, whether it's products, whether it's whatever it is, and work with good people who are willing to evolve with you. I 100% agree. What what do you, do you have any kind of like techniques or, or tactics that you use to like vet people out basically and vet companies out or do you just kind of like have a gut feeling? I have several ways to judge people and people say, oh, you shouldn't judge people. I judge people. Everybody judges everybody. And uh, it's what you do with the judgment. That's what matters, I think. So I use this something called the paradox test. If someone is looking at something and it's an anomaly and they don't try to excavate it further and they just bash it immediately, I think that's a very close-minded and dogmatic way of thinking because some of the greatest science has come through, came through um, looking at paradoxes Galileo, Newton, Einstein, and everybody in the past, the greatest breakthroughs have happened this way. We went to Mars because we uh, we wanted to, not Mars, but Moon. <laughs> we went to Moon because we wanted to explore, we wanted to challenge something, we wanted to one-up ourselves. There was sort of like that Russian arms race, so it's kind of complicated, but I guess I made the point clear. You have to go to the unknown places. You have to get out of the comfort zone. And besides that, humor is really important. If someone's not funny or they have a terrible sense of humor, I, I kind of judge them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's important, man. Uh, if somebody's followed our Instagram stories, they know exactly what they're talking about, what, we're, what I'm talking about. Uh, Besides that, optimism is good, but at the same time, it should be balanced with correct amount of cynicism. So you have to find someone, and sometimes your gut intuition is always, is, it seems to be right as well. And then another thing is 
differentiating between marketers and educators because a lot of the times I get reached out by people who want to work in a marketing domain, meaning I'll promote your product, you promote mine. So that's the marketing sort of thing. In those cases, you just have to look through who it is, uh, see if their product is any good, if you want to collaborate with them. Personally, at Ketogi, we like to collaborate very little and we just like to empower. We're not really good marketers. We're terrible marketers. And then you have these educators. And the, one of the best educators are the worst marketers. And a lot of them can be found on Twitter. They're fighting each other, like Mortal Kombat style. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you have, yeah, everybody else. And so you have to find good people. It's a bit of a challenge. Another problem is once you is everything is search engine optimized these days. So the first few results you get on Google or first two or three pages are usually just bad information a lot of the times. What is keto? Uh, it's usually those marketing gurus who've put those results on the top, on the front page. They're good at uh, getting these buzzwords right. So anytime you explore a new topic, disregarding whether it's keto, food, or nutrition, go down to the degrees, go look on some forums, um, and go to the nth of the um, just to the end of the world to find such great people. Mm -hmm. So that's a good way to start. No, I 100% agree, man. I think uh, being open-minded is a very important trait. Like I consider myself incredibly open-minded. I literally listen to anybody's take on anything. I consider myself very stubborn still. But I am incredibly open-minded. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's that's empowering in itself. Like, if you're closed-minded, then you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. And uh, I also have a disagreement with people who call themselves unbiased. I think everybody's biased to some extent. In fact, there are people who are so biased, unbiased, they get into the church of being unbiased. Mm -hmm. And that can be a bit of a bias on its own. And I've seen that in some of the intellectuals that I've had a conversation with them or witnessed them on several social media outlets. So everybody has a, an agenda. Everybody has something that they want from you. And that's the reality of it. This is humanity. We build structures and relationships by working with each other and you just have to vet out people that are wanting to form a one-way relationship with you. Because sometimes I get approached by certain people who are like, hey, can you promote my book? Can you promote my product? And then you have to say, okay, you, I need you to do this for me too. So that's like a business deal that's happening under, underground. And, and the truth is some of the people are like, oh, it's everything really business. A lot of things underground are a business. If you've been on Instagram, you'll know this is pretty much everywhere, everywhere. So it's just a reality of humanity. Yeah, and it's not a bad thing either if, if done with the right intentions and honest intentions. I mean, business is business. I mean, people need to make money. People need to pay the bills. People need to put food on the table. Um, but if like, you know, two different businesses can collaborate on something that's mutually beneficial, then I mean, why the hell not? That's just awesome for both. Exactly. I think of money, and I've mentioned it a few times, as a side effect of something good you're doing, just like ketones as a side effect of a great diet. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, I'm curious here, like how long, actually, with with your outlook on things, I, it resonates with me. I like it a lot. Um, what do you think, you know, with your upbringing or like your life's environment situations, what has kind of led to your mindset currently? You think you know, being raised in Pakistan had a big impact on it. Like, I'm just, I want to dig into the reason you are the way you are. I was raised in a very conservative sort of uh, 
area, very Muslim oriented. And this is going to be an open, it's going to go in public now. <laughs> so I was raised in a country where called, well, we've dropped that Pakistan. Um, religion was very prominent there. In fact, when the war broke out, uh, I was on that side of the conflict because I had no clue what United States was all about, despite the fact that I was actually technically born in United States. So seeing the conflict from both sides of the world, I came to understand that people are people. You have to dig deep into the story and the narrative. You have to look at both perspectives before you make a, or formulate a judgment. And I noticed that we've formed these camps with each other and we demonize the other side. We paint them as a monster. So there's this uh, this wonderful book called, I think it's a, a Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. So we have a hero with a thousand faces. We also have villains with a thousand faces. We always like to point finger at one thing. And if you notice it in, in the food industry, in the health industry, we always point finger at, oh, sugar's bad. Oh, um, coconut oil is bad. We, we do all of these kind of demonizing, which makes for a sensational and beautiful headline, but it's technically very inaccurate. Since when has anybody chugged down coconut oil on their own? Since when has someone taken spoonfuls of sugars and just chowed it down? You have to look at things in context and get into the depth of it if you want to know the truth. And that's been my formulation is go and understand how the mechanics work. And when I went to college, I studied mechanical engineering. You started to understand how thermodynamics works, how a closed or an open system functions. And once you have that problem-solving mentality along with analyzing everything or compartmentalizing everything, you start breaking down things into smaller steps. And that's been the advent of how I think. And of course, then there's the failure aspect of it, as in I was raised with my parents taking really good care of me wherever I went and then suddenly father passes away gets I, I broke up uh, a lot of things go down I'm financially totally broken apart I have no money and that's when you hit the rock bottom and that's where you build from the top you have two options you either go down the hill and you pass away never to be remembered you become the victim you think that oh I deserve all the sympathy in the world and I'm not going to put any effort you can go that way or you can Say, everything is my fault. I screwed up in life. Now it's time to pick back from the pieces, start new, create a business, create something that drives a change and support my family, take care of my mother, take care of my brother, everybody else. Uh, so that's what ha has happened to me is I had to drop out of college when my dad passed away. I had to take care of my mother. And that strengthens you. And you learn patience because uh, my family was very different culturally from United States over here. So I had to create these surmounting bridges between two different cultures. And that's a very tough thing. And as people who have been exposed to uh, different cultures in the same community or same locale, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and then you have a totally different belief system and ideology and thinking. Like, for example, someone's... Uh, Someone thinks in a, someone is a Muslim and me and myself, I'm relatively agnostic. And then you have, you're surrounded by Christians. So you build these straight, these interesting bridges between people. So this teaches you patience. This teaches you how to combat failure. This teaches you how to start from scratch. And that's been my journey. All right, man. We, we got a lot of talking to do here. This, this is really getting fascinating. How, how, like, what was the time frame about this? Like, when did your dad pass out? Where were you? He passed out in 2013. Man, it's been long. It's been, man. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think that was 13 in July. 
And I remember when I went back to Pakistan and uh, that's where he passed away. Uh, and the day he died, I remember flying there. There was only a few hours left and I was at the hospital. And um, so the way he died was that his his oxygen tank had been depleted out of oxygen and since that's a third world country you don't have that many resources you don't have access to ventilators or maybe there's one ventilator and 20 30 people waiting in line uh, and here's another thing that adds to my precarious approach towards health is every person in my family even including myself has had a near-death experience at the hospital and have found out that it's been a terrible, terrible experience going to those places. So that adds to my whole entire crusade of keeping people away from hospitals in general. So yeah, that's been the story. And I still remember those three towers that were visible as soon as he died and uh, this darkness that was everywhere. And uh, I was like, okay, this is the, the time I need to, this is the moment I need to make a decision in life. Should I just do what I'm doing or do I need to change things differently? So after two, three weeks, I realized, okay, a new person needs to be born here. And that's how the change began. What, what, uh, so like when you were standing there in the, at the crossroads and, you know, you could have gone either way, what, like, it, what, did you like, you know, fast forward and look at your life 10 years from that point each way and see kind of what could be? And then what made you choose the way you went as opposed to where you were currently? What was the driving force? Well, I think, yes, at that time I had immediately formulated something called a 15-year plan or so. Um, my first goal was to start a business right away because my degree was unfinished. You cannot support yourself and your mother with an unfinished degree. That's impossible. So at that crossroad, I, I, I decided first business is going to be a service-based business because you need no capital to do it. Um, and then I had a dwindling amount of money left from my father's passing away, and I had to make the most out of it. Uh, the jobs that were offered at that time when I came back to United States after burying my father was were just terrible. 15 an hour, that's, that's horrible for supporting two people in California. So pursuing that business endeavor, burning the bridges, going all in, that's one of the most strongest driving forces because now you're in fight or flight mode or fight or fight mode. That's the only option you got left. You have to bring good food to home. You have to go out there and work in the middle of hot summer uh, with no protection, nothing whatsoever. And that's what I remember. Those were the days. Then you come back home and your mother's making meal, and there's like cockroaches everywhere. And I, I think ever, as much as people would say that's a terrible time, that was one of the best times of my life. Because it was, if you have good people, and I think my mother was a great person, and all the people that were around me at that time that were left, they were good people. So once you have that, even the most harshest struggles can be fun. It, it, like think about it, when you go out and do hunting or do rock climbing, it's painful. It's terrible. You work out. You don't want to obliterate your muscles. But when you're with the right conditions, right environment, good people, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so yeah. that that's what happened back then, man. Man, like, I, see, I didn't know any of this stuff. I don't know if you've been open about this before, but I mean, I, I freaking, I love going to people's, you know, lowest or darkest times 
and then just really fleshing that out because you learn so much more about a person than you possibly could in just a casual conversation day to day, a small talk, you know? Yes. And I think we need to be open about just my opinion is we need to be open about our stories. We have beautiful stories that we can share and everyone's got it. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'll be honest. Some of them might not be as interesting, but it's still a story and uh, just live it and stop following so many narratives. Write your own story too. Step back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. Write, write your own story. Like, yeah, I mean, you you were alive and breathing and that is all you need to be able to make something worthwhile. Exactly. And I've had my fair share of experience with uh, death as well. Uh, I remember back in college, there was this, uh, I started weightlifting there. Mm -hmm. And then I took a bunch of supplements at the same time. Uh, I stacked them up. I went to GNC and the guy gave me like a stack of them. And I all took all of them in a period of three days. And then I got myself a kidney stone, which was painful as hell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was hurting and they took me to the emergency care at the hospital and the the university hospital said I needed to go to the main city hospital in Indianapolis. Uh, so they drove me there and over there they said, um, if things don't work out, we're going to send you to Chicago because they have better facilities and all those kind of things. So they did a measurement of my blood CK value, which is normally I think at 55 to 75 Mine was 30,000, which is insane. Um, and at that time was my first experience that, okay, I could potentially die here. Uh, so the first thing I did, I started flirting with a nurse that told me that I was going to die because, well, you know, you got to make the most out of life. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. That's the good outlook for sure. <laughs> yeah, man. But once you face death, I, I think at that time, that's, that's where you just come to the reality you mature up real quick and most people get that ass kicking sometime maybe it's not death but sometime something really happens to them and you just have to pick the pieces back up make the best out of it and here's a great uh, quality that you can you add to how you judge others if they have the capacity to take something negative and turn it into something positive and funny at the same time you have an amazing person at your hand yeah, and I, I agree. And I think an easier way to do that is to like, like I love the rags to riches stories. Like I just, they, I eat them up, man. So like the harder it is, the better your story is going to be. Like that's, I mean, no matter how bad it is, you can always use that and just turn it around and make it into a positive with that simple, simple technique. Yeah, man. Uh, and uh, it's it's fascinating. And your story is pretty cool too. You started from, <laughs> what is it like? taking films back in your closet with a back black background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a it was it was interesting for sure, man. And like honestly, I, those those YouTube videos part 1 and part 2 of my story, I get more feedback on those than anything else because people appreciate it, they relate with it and they like the transparency of it, you know. Yes, as much as we aspire that perfection, we connect with a more realistic person. Yeah, I agree 100%. 100%. So, I, we're just we're just kind of going all over the place here, which is what I love. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about I'm, I'm going to ask some s selfish questions here. Um, cuz I'm starting my own food business and you've done the the keto geek energy pods. Um, what what all like just kind of talk to me about that process. Like, first of all, what made you 
want to make these energy pods? You started selling them in the yoga studio to the ladies. Like, how did everything just kind of give like a like a timeline here? Yeah, so we started early last year, and actually two years before. It's been a while, man. I feel old now. Um, <laughs> but we created these tiny... We wanted to come up with nutrition bars because we followed everybody else and we wanted to create something that was just conventional and easy. Um, but we went to the chicks and we we noticed that a lot of fat bombs seem to melt. And you might have... Some, everybody has that relationship when it comes to keto. It's like all your fat bombs melt away. Mm-hmm. Um and then the problem was keeping something shelf stable. That's another challenge right there. Um, so if you put butter into anything, it's no longer shelf stable. So we, one day we just brought in a concoction of whatever we could make. And we said, okay, we didn't have time to refrigerate it. We didn't have to have time to make turn it into a bar. Here, try this in a cup. And the chicks were like, this is amazing. You should just do this. Uh, I was like, really? I screwed up the product. Um, so they loved it. And then we started experimenting inside the cup. We, we would always, I would always go to scientific research and figure out, okay, should I use collagen protein in there? Should I use whey protein in there? And even though it's a really tiny amount that we use in our products, I still want to take care of every single ingredient and go to the literature. Uh, I talked to a lot of the respectable influencers and educators in the keto sphere, uh, try to understand what kind of um, thing would go into it. For example, MCT oil was a good add-on. And then ghee, of course, is just amazing. And I already had a history with ghee. Hello from a country where there's ghee everywhere. Uh, so, And then there was this one childhood treat that I used to enjoy with walnuts. I remember there was this tiny city where my a lot of my relatives used to live. We would go there literally four to five times a year. There's this one tiny little shop somewhere in there. And they were like a hidden shop. It would get crowded on Sundays. And they used to make these tiny little treats there, which were delicious. I was hooked into it. And I wanted to have that version on keto. I was like, oh, this gives me an excuse to have sweet stuff like that there once in a while. So I took that recipe, sort of, and modified it and ketofied it. I added tweaks here and there. And I had some of the gals try it out. And they seemed to like that a lot more than our chocolate one. Which, by the way, is the walnut one that we have online. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so we add a little bit of spice eventually later down the road just to kind of make it unique in certain ways. So that's where the pods came in. And then I took it to my chef friend in Napa. And he said, dude, you should sell these. They Chicks would love it. And they did love it. Um, in fact, a lot of our customers are women. <laughs> Very cool, man. What, what, uh, what were some of the things that you kind of like learn like because there's a big difference between making a product figuring out the ingredients kind of having something and and you know that initial man we should sell these thought to okay this is an actually a functioning business that's efficiently working um supply and demands met i mean the ingredients everything's just streamlined like what are some of the the things you learned what are some of the you know mistakes you made um basically what can I do with mine so I don't mess up? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that we did it the wrong way. Don't do it what we did. We went and when we launched, we went straight for educators instead of marketers for mm-hmm. our business model. Um, because we, <laughs> I remember when we were at Low Carb USA uh, about a year ago, 
And we were in the room, we were sponsoring that event and everybody else was trying to sell their products. And we, me and Corey, the other guy who's with me, he does the production. We were like, we want to go talk to Rob Wolf. We want to go in that room and listen to that conference that's going on. We want to talk to Dr. Dominic. We want to talk to all the carnivores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was what we were thinking. Um, so we, we kind of botched that up a little bit ourselves, but it's paying off because uh, now we have the knowledge and we are somewhat of an authority figure in the keto world. So... Um, but if you were to start off a business for the sake of business, uh, nowadays what you would want to do is uh, create a product, uh, create a website, then reach out to influencers around social media, uh, sh- share the real product with them. If they like it, they'll give you a shout out. So you have to learn this modern way of business dealing and use these channels and outlets to get your product out there. And then you get into things like Keto Box or Keto Grade or any of those kind of services. If people like it, you'll gain some more traction. Um, and then you can get your product into your distribution channel as well. As far as product costs are concerned, um, make sure that your ingredients are uh, a quarter of the actual price that you're going to be putting up. Like, let's say your ingredients cost, every the cost of goods made is about a buck or 50 cents, then you want to multiply that by at least four and put that on there. So that would be about two bucks. So that's a good strategy or rule of thumb to follow. Um, Initially, you might want to do some giveaways here and there. Uh, That helps generate some traction. Then you have, once you have the funds, you go out and sponsor events, you do those kind of things, you provide them products. It's all a game of marketing, but things have changed. You can't go the traditional route of just going out to a distributor, which could technically work, but there's so much saturation in products these days, you're going to have a tough challenge, tough, um, you're going to have a challenge doing that, especially if you're not an influencer like yourself. You as Keto Savage, you already have a, have an established brand. People know who you are in the keto sphere. You could reach out to Keto Geek and be like, hey man, can you give me a shout out? And be like, sure dude. <laughs> so yeah. um, some people, it's it's all this networking sort of thing that's going on these days. And then you put your product on Amazon eventually. You can do that as soon as you want. Have you done um, that yet? We have our gi on Amazon. And we've been a little slow on the product side, like I said. Because I already had another business. We, didn't, we were not in rush mode. Uh, we wanted to create our in- ecosystem. We started this business. I started this business because I wanted to end chronic conditions. And uh, I'm very agnostic towards keto, to be honest. Um, If someone says, okay, there's a better way to do it, I might try that, Mm -hmm. even if there's 5,000 carbs in there. So um, I'm open to it. And that's what we've learned throughout our time by surrounding ourselves with educators is you have to stay open-minded. You never know what you are or what you can become. So that's why our product name changed from KetoPod or any of those pods to energy pods because that's an agnostic way of looking at food and nutrition. So we can go high carb, low carb, high fat, whatever fat, no fat, zero calories, mother earth, whatever you want to call it. I like it. I like it. So it's a good, good outlook. Um, what, what I don't care. Okay, I don't want to go, I don't want to unveil any, you know, business trade secrets or anything. If you have any of those, I, I don't want to have you say anything you don't want to say, but, uh, what's re- with regards to like, the production and manufacturing, and again, this is just going into the weeds here about starting a food business. Um, but like for me, I have to have like a commercial kitchen space to produce them in. Um, there's like a cottage food laws if you're going to be selling like at a farmer's market or in person. But if you're going to be like shipping online or anything, I had to go in and get like a commercial kitchen space. So do you, do you are you using like a co-packer or do you like 
Um, like how, how does that whole process work? It, the, now, this, these are very, very interesting choices. Uh, what I would suggest is if you want to do everything yourself, which what we're doing, we're, we're creating a monster. We're doing so many things. It's crazy. So you're making uh, it so yourself? We, we're making our, everything ourselves. We wanted to have 100% control over it because, uh, uh, like I said, we created these products for ourselves. We want to pick the ingredients. We want to pick the sources. We want to pick everything. That, that's what I'm doing, too. So I, I, I'm tuned in because I want so a lot of people just like use a co-packer, which is not nothing against that, but they kind of are removed from the day-to-day, and I want to hear your perspective. Oh, yeah, this is the fun part, uh, but it's, it's going to be a grind because you have to do some research. Because for us, we look at the literature. We go to science. We talk to some of the leading folks in the world of food, nutrition. We talk. We have a conversation with them, send them emails, uh, then uh, go to PubMed or any of those places, figure out how ingredients could potentially work in synergy. So there's a little bit of homework that we do over that side. And then we figure out, okay, there's not that many toxins in this one or that one. And then uh, whey protein is better than collagen protein in context of most diets. Um, so then you converge into these ingredients and then you combine them together and then you come up with a product. So that's what we do. And then you look at the companies that you're working with. We want to work with good companies. For example, the butter that we use is from Strauss Family Creamery. We had the option of getting cheaper butter any, everywhere. We're like those store brand Walmart ones. But we did some homework and we, we, we found out that they treat their cows really well. They also have regenerative farming practices. They're trying to work on that part. Uh, they're pasture raised, and uh, uh, so their feed is really high quality. So those things matter to us. So we did that sort of homework for just our butter, and then we went into uh, figuring out how does butter, um, how does temperature affect the butter, the fat content, the protein content, and the separation, all those kind of things. Um, does it get oxidized? Does it produce free radicals or any of those kind of things? Or is it prone to oxidation? So just these tedious amounts of hours that went in there. We overkilled it basically. That's good. Uh, but, that's good. But we went on everywhere. That's why we charge a lot more. People are like, why is your product so super expensive? It's because we spend a huge amount of time. You could either buy our product or you could buy supplements that have a placebo effect, mm-hmm. which are way more pricier than our stuff. So what you get in our product is a lot more than just a food product. It's uh, countless hours of research. It's that podcast that helps you. It's this conversation that we're having. All of these things are funded by our product. So once you combine those ingredients, you go back to, um, you could either start at home if you have nothing, if you want to bootstrap it. It's possible. Uh, and uh, then you require a license specifically from your city to do the work at home. But you could always rent a co- commercial kitchen space, which is what I would recommend. Um, and uh, it shouldn't cost much. You could rent out once a week, twice a week, however long. That's what we're doing at the moment, but we're going to start soon outgrowing that. Um, and commercial kitchens are easy to find depending on the city that you're working at. Um, sometimes it can be difficult, but shouldn't be too bad. Uh, avoid those big, crazy um, startup incubator style stuff. They charge an arm and a leg. They'll charge you way too much, and you can get away. You could just go to Craigslist. I think that should be one of the easiest ways to find a commercial kitchen for a low price. Um, anything that shows, once again, anything that shows up on the first page of Google, is not the best option. Yeah. So. Um, cause that's been marketed and they charge you for the marketing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be that will get you the commercial space, and then you have to realize how do I scale up if you if I'm going to be creating from scratch. We already have our entire model laid out how we're going to grow out and scale up to a big production facility. So that is also important for a bar product like yours. It shouldn't be that tough. I I have a vague idea of what kind of uh, stuff you're throwing in there and what your process is like, but it shouldn't be that hard. The more steps you add towards a product, the more complicated it gets and the more uh, overhead and costs that are come, come with it. No matter how delicious your product is, it's, uh, you have to be practical about it. Uh, if you sell um, something that's like a $50 protein bar or something, that's too expensive. Yeah. Um, but it all depends, man. You also have to figure out what kind of uh, targeting you're doing with the, the people as in your customers, you have to figure that part out. Um, we didn't do that. We're just finding out a lot of women are our, our customers. Sort mm-hmm. of their demographic is 18 to maybe 40s. That's our highest amount of sales that's going out there. So um, you can calibrate all those things. You could either go organically or you can just go all out guns blazing with ever whatever money that you have. Eventually, you're gonna get started. You're gonna there's gonna be people who would want to invest in your business. Now, the problem with that is you want to retain as much freedom as possible because the more control you give over, the more you lose your business to some extent. Uh, Now, you can get silent investors that will be giving you some money and they'll walk away. Those are the best people. It's like STFU and uh, leave us. Um, But then you get the other people that want to interfere. Uh, so you have to be picky about those people. It becomes an issue. Uh, one of the podcasts that I listened to regarding this was the Stanford Business School. It's a great podcast. Uh, it teaches you some business concepts. Um, after that, uh, it's your decision whether you want to scale up with capital or you want to do it yourself. Or you could also try a Kickstarter. If you're really good at marketing, if you have the contacts, affiliates, all those people, you can just put it up on Kickstarter and just create an empire over there, which works out quite well. Keto Cookie did that. Uh, we might eventually do that for our next product, uh, which is going to be sort of carnivorous, biltong sort of thing. Um, besides that, uh, just I think one of the most important things, now this is going to sound cliche, and um, but do good. Yeah, be a good sure. person. And I understand, and here's a big challenge here. Once you get embedded and enslaved to someone else, then you are not in control. For example, a lot of food companies have to depend on influencers as far as social media marketing is concerned, and that's also giving away power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like for yourself as Keto Savage, you have you are an influencer, <laughs> so you have a pretty strong advantage right there because people listen to you. I feel so, pretty good. It's like as far as like the foundation I have, because I mean. Like I never even planned on selling the keto brick. I just made it for a contest prep because it it satisfied a need that I had, and then you know people started I had like a YouTube clip or something, and people started asking about it with interest. So I'm like, well, this this could be a, a thing. Um, but I've built my whole audience organically, um, and then I feel like I'll be able to use that and leverage it to you know market to the keto brick um, if it's a success. It might be a total failure, you know, who knows? But it's fun to learn. I'm learning a lot in the process, so it's not it's not a failure in that sense by any means. Um, but but it is crazy, man. So so y'all are doing like a commercial kitchen right now. Y'all are getting all the ingredients from your suppliers, and then just you know going there and, and you know producing a bunch of these and shipping them out. 
Yes, and then you also require licensing from the state, like the processed food registration is another licensing requirement uh, from uh, the Department of Health in California. You're going to products may have to get pH testing that will have to happen eventually down the road. You have to make sure that your labels are correct. Those that's a, there's a whole FDA guide for that online that you can go and check that out uh, before you get into the distribution model. Then you need those barcode UPC sort of things. Those are also really important. I was going to so, ask you about that. I, I've got like I've got all my you know Arkansas Department of Health stuff ironed out. Uh, we're really going in the weeds here, but, but uh, lot numbers. What are you using for lot numbers? Lot numbers or SKUs? Those? Yeah, yeah. So are you like just stamping the product, or you getting like a sticker on there, or do you just do like a date, or how are you doing that? Right now, we don't do that at the moment, but we will be doing that eventually as we get into the distribution chain. Because right now, there's only one place where we're sending out on our, our supply, as in our shipment isn't that high at the moment. Um, but eventually, we will have to in case something bad happens and we have to do a recall. So that's a good way to bring back your products. Um, eventually, it'll have to be a machine which stamps it. Gotcha. Do you think you're like, down the road like what's your plan do you think you'll have like employees or do you think you'll you know outsource a lot of it or what's your plans there and we will have very few amount of employees everything is scalable with the minimum amount of employees required uh what we would love to see is good people working and forming communities and helping each other and making this world a better place creating positive influencers and educators in our community that's our big focus um and uh just make life easy for them and for overall everybody else. That's the goal. So food is used as a means of sustenance, pleasure, happiness, experiences, not a form of addiction. That's the goal. Yeah, 100%, man. Yeah, no, I, I like y'all's products a lot because, I mean, like you were kind of saying, it being shelf-stable, like that's one I think the biggest selling points that I'm making with mine is it's shelf-stable. There's so many things in the keto community that are either way too high in carbs to be considered technically keto or they're just not shelf-stable. So you get something good going for you there. And I think there's something beyond that that comes with a product. It's who is it that's making this? And I think we need to start focusing on that. Because right now we are stuck in this buzzword marketing phase where uh, we just did a little bit of research and another controversial topic coming up, grass-fed versus grain-fed, for example. So if the concern in that sort of beef is animal suffering, you could have animal suffering in both of them. If your concern is bad living conditions for animals on grass-fed, grain-fed, you could have that in both as well. The most important thing we found out is to find out who's doing the work, figure out whose practices and philosophies align with yours, and uh, buy from them. I think that's way more important, and I think that's where... Forming your own brand is really important because people will trust you and this whole buzzword stuff, not going to lie, I wanted to just die. But then again, we live in this Twitter, Instagram world with hashtags. So I don't know. It's going to be a battle. It is It is mind-blowing, some of the, the marketing ploys that are you know put into effect, uh, like the whole USDA organic and, and like that stamp that you can put on. I mean, that's... A lot of people take advantage of that, and it's it's pretty skewed what that actually means. Yes, there's a lot of dishonesty going in the background, so don't even fall for those sort of uh, nutrition labels. A lot of them are junk. A lot of them put pressure on the farmers. It's it's not good. It's not a good thing. You're creating middle industries that are much more powerful than the farmers. You're not really helping them too much. And if you go behind the scenes and have a conversation with them, 
it's 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 not a good scene, especially since most of the youngsters are our age people. They're leaving farming, and that's a dwindling sort of market. It's going to come back and hit us, especially since the keto movement is on the rise, and there's going to be more demand for butter and meat and all that kind of stuff. Um, sorry, vegans, you're gonna you're gonna die off. <laughs> you want to talk about vegans versus keto? If you want, bring it. <laughs> I'd love to just get you. I mean, I'm. I'd love to just get your opinion, man, because I mean, I like I like how outspoken you are. You're doing the research. Like, I'd love for you to just dive into that rabbit hole. Yeah, what do you want to know, man? Start the uh, open the can of worms. So, what's your? Uh, I mean, just what's your overall take? I think veganism is good intentions gone bad. I've seen that in my country in Pakistan. I've seen that in Afghanistan, where people or mothers have great positive intentions, but they send their kids to the landmines to blow up, and they think they're doing the right thing. I think there's somewhat similarities in there. And it sounds outspoken and crazy, but there's, based on the research, maybe I'm biased. I am biased. But that's that's what I think about as far as veganism. When we started Keto Geek, we were vegetarians. We wanted to go vegan, totally. But we started to, we, we came across this guy called Sean Baker. You've had him on the podcast. He's tearing everything apart. He was lifting 145 pounds uh, with just one of his hands. We're like, this guy's eating just meat. Let's get him on our show. And we did, and we we found out that there's more to more to life than just being vegan or or virtuous. That's what I call it. It's called virtue signaling. There's a this is the political word for it. <laughs> All right, let's get controversial. So um, <laughs> yeah, so after talking to Sean Baker, we found something which was we started thinking that this might be a silver bullet to help a lot of the chronic conditions. So there's something called the protein leverage hypothesis, which means that your body's gonna keep staying hungry until you eat an adequate amount of protein. And then we started noticing people go on this all meat diet they're losing weight like crazy or it seems or at least it seems to be a quite a bit of a backbone in some of the ketogenic diets so what happens when you go on an all meat diet it works for a lot of people and then there's anecdotes of people that are gaining that are on it for decades or at least a decade there's this one woman who's in her 40s and she looks super young despite being 45 she looks like she's in her 20s mm-hmm. um I think it's the Anderson family's name drop. Um, And then we called in Amber Ahern, and we had a conversation about the science of a carnivorous or a meat-based diet. It started to make sense. There's a lot of science there. There's an evolutionary context to it. Then we brought in Dr. Peter Ballerstad, because everybody in the vegan community says, you know, it's not a sustainable model. It causes a lot of emissions and all those kind of things. And then Dr. Peter showed up and dismantled every single thing about that. And he, he and people can check out that podcast as well. Um, and they they don't talk about the whole cycle, as in the car emissions go up, but they don't never talk about the emissions and all that stuff coming back into the earth and how twelve percent of the highland can be cultivated using uh, ruminant agriculture and only one percent can be done by agriculture uh, and how cattle can help with regenerating farming and all those kind of things. So the sustainability argument got destroyed. And then we brought in Dr. Zofia Clemens from Hungary. They're a group called Paleo Medicina, and they pitch an all-meat diet against some of the cancers. Uh, and that goes to show WHO, in, in one fell swoop, that WHO and AHA are just rubbish. They're spewing rubbish, they're garbage, and their science doesn't make any sense. Um, and they're based on some really terrible publications. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you have the science, sustainability, athleticism, 
and look at it from an evolutionary context, the only argument that's left is suffering of animals. And then you can look at uh, agriculture as a whole. When you perform this sweeping agricultural routines, you're destroying ecosystems, you're killing ton tons of um, insects and uh, animals. But when you're on a carnivorous diet or a cattle or animal-based, uh, meat-based diet, there's you're killing animals that are just anthropomorphic, but not in a huge amount of quantity. So, and then you have to start questioning in terms of what is suffering. Is, is it, if you create cows that have a no brain or no capacity to suffer, and if you kill them, is that suffering or not? So then you get into these existential questions that nobody talks about in the vegan community uh, because, oh, let's make sure that the cattle is fine or cattle is happy. And, and going back to the point where we started off when I was in Pakistan, we had uh, a, a, a holiday after fasting for 30 days. It is called uh, Eid and it's the big Eid. And on that, people slaughter animals. It's the Abrahamic tradition. So it all comes down to this whole belief system. Um, is killing of animals um, actually suffering or is it sacrifice? Because on that side of the spectrum, on that part of the world, it's called sacrifice. So it all depends on your perspective as far as this point of view is concerned. And then what about scratching my nose? I scratched my nose. I've committed a big genocide. I've killed 10,000 cells or whatever many cells that are just dead. So you just committed a mass genocide on yourself. So what exactly is suffering? We need to pry this further. So that's what I think about as far as the vegan versus animal-based sort of debate is concerned. And then we come back to the fiber thing. Okay, so we don't have any evidence showing fiber deficiency at all. Any issues with that? Uh, and that just takes it all out as well. We, we have no evidence whatsoever. I like it, man. I like it. Uh... I don't know, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about you being as open-minded as you are. I mean, here you are, you were vegan, and now you're, are you carnivore now, or are you pretty much just looking at all the research? Well, I am mostly carnivorous, more like a nutty carnivore, that's the diet we use, or I use. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to go full carnivorous, and that's me trying to keep an open mind, because, okay, carnivorous diet works, it's fantastic, it's great, but are we really going to stick to just one way of living? Because I don't. Um... We, it's, it's, I think it's good. It's a healing diet. It's, it's great. It's a wonderful way of living, at least based on the anecdotes that, that we've observed. But I don't want to stay in the comfort zone. I want to experiment and learn. I want to go outside of the animal kingdom and explore the plant world, figure out how much plants can I take before I die or just get some sort of crippling disease. Um, it, so it's kind of like, uh, you could stay in the house, you'll be safe forever, but you could get into your car, which has a big plaster on it saying you could get killed anytime, but you're still going to take the risk because you need to make money. You need to, uh, go out there and do your work. You need to go and travel. You need to go visit new places. So that's what I think about in the, as far as the meat and, uh, sort of animal and plant kingdom, as far as diet is concerned. No, I, I like it, man. I, I'm, I'm pretty similar. Like I don't like to deal in absolutes um, with with most things, I think people get so stuck on like an absolute that it just it kind of goes back to them being closed minded. Um, so I'm 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 never really one for absolutes. And then as far as like you know plants versus animals and and all that, like I I try not to. A lot of it's kind of becoming almost a religion now, and I don't think the the lines should be should be blurred there. I mean, I look at food from like a scientific perspective, like what is the best thing for my body? 
and what is going to optimize my performance. I try not to bring a religion into the foods that I'm eating. And then, you know, just the way I was raised, you know, being out in the country, hunting, I mean, it's it's kind of like the circle of life. Like, I'm going to die someday. That's just part of life. I'm going to be fertilizing daffodils someday. And, you know, the the, the food that I, that I hunt, the, the animals that I kill, I do so as humanely as humanly possible. I have the respect for the animals, but I mean, I, I take no shame in killing that deer and then letting it nourish my body. Well, here's the brutal reality of it. No matter how hard you try, no matter what religion you bring back to Earth, evolution is going to kick your ass. It's going to bring you back with a blow, bring you back into a crumbling, humbling piece of dirt. That's what I think. Uh, and we've tried that. And we go back to the same circle. And the uh, same thing's happening nowadays. Is the animal-based diet seems to be far more effective than the plant-based diet, despite the fact that we want the plant-based diet. We are on a plant-based diet at the moment. So it's an option. It's a great option. It could be explored. I'm totally open to exploring the plant kingdom, but at this moment, the silver bullet that I see is mostly in the animal context. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you know, simply speaking from taste buds, a ribeye steak, it just, it just tastes better than a piece of celery. Yes, and besides that, there's a lot of myths against meat as well. Like, for example, there's no vitamin C and the role of vitamin C because we're technically supposed to be dead from scurvy. That's not happening. And then there's the vitamin D. They did a study in the Arctic where they took a bunch of people and did some um, uh, sort of analysis on them and figure out their uh, blood vitamin D levels. And they found out that the people who in the, in the Inuit community seem to have better vitamin D uh, in their blood than the people that were in the center of the cities. So, And they observed... And this kind of kicks out the sunlight, by the way. That was the main point, mm -hmm. the effect of sunlight. So you figure out that food has a much better role in uh, regulating vitamin D, and the people who are more Inuit or old school or meat-based seem to have better, more vitamin D. Now, this is still a, not a direct cause. There could be other factors weighing in, but it goes to show that the impact of sun is not that big. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... We're actually in a super, super exciting time right now because with the popularity of keto and kind of like the carnivorous, you know, diet, you know, the and I'm not hardcore carnivorous by any means. I, most of my calories obviously come from food, from meats, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm open to anything like you are. But we're in a cool time in the sense that there's so many people doing so many different things right now. We're all kind of like guinea pigs and we're going to be able to test, you know, how am I going to look being keto when I'm 80 years old? Like, what's my health going to be like? What's your health going to be like? We're all kind of on the frontier here yeah and one of the most beautiful lines rafi he's a guy he's a cool guy you should bring him into your podcast or anybody who's listening to it should bring him he's a really awesome really smart very very brilliant mind um and he says that um humans are darn resilient we've been through a lot and we're still here yeah if you think about it that's true because we're terrible man we put put us against any of the most of the animals we're dead yeah. <laughs> we can't we can't survive but the the, the, the beauty of this of, of being able to use tools and just working in synergy working together creating plans the power of uh, language uh, and one of the most powerful tools that humans have above every other animal to a large extent is delaying gratification saving your reward for later and that's basically, in other words, sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that have propagated us to evolve into these wonderful, smart, heavy-brained creatures that we are because we needed those things. I love it, man. I love it.
Hey, I can't even, I can't even say anything on top of that. You want to just call it good there because you're 100% right. Yeah, man, we could always have a conversation. If you're at any of these other low-carb keto events, we should just sit down and have these existential conversations. No, I love it, man, these fireside chats. Like, this is this is what I live for because, I mean, that's the cool thing about podcasting. Like, we just talk and we just, you know, kind of figure out where each other's coming from and what, what their outlook is on certain things. I mean, that grows each other as an individual. Yeah, I mean, there's health, there's nutrition, there's all of that stuff. But sometimes you just got to step back and say, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. 100%. We're, we're gonna, we'll, we'll definitely talk again because I think you're going to be at Low Carb USA, right? I'll be in San Diego. Perfect, perfect. I think I'm speaking at that one for, for something. So I'll be, I'll be there and then I'll see you there for sure. Sounds good. Where, uh, where can people go to find out more about you, man? Uh, they could go to ketogeek.com or they could look up our uh, podcast on iTunes at KetoGeek as well. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere. So whichever medium works for you, just go check it out. If you like our products, if you like our philosophy, you can go to our website and buy them and uh, have fun. And I'll attest to the fact that they're super freaking delicious. They taste just like chocolate icing. At least the chocolate one does. You're going to get more of those. <laughs> Crystal's gonna be happy for sure. All right, man. Well, it's again, it's been a pleasure, always a pleasure, and um, we'll stay in touch because I learn something new every single time I talk to you. Thank you. Take care, buddy. <laughs>